0: Everyone has the potential to achieve, so we make sure that our qualifications give all students the opportunity to show what they can do and progress to the next stage of their lives. Our UK qualifications are highly valued by employers and universities around the world. As an independent education charity, our income is reinvested back into AQA's charitable activities, funds our cutting edge research and supports our initiatives to help young people facing challenges in life realise their potential. Hello and welcome to JobPod, the podcast from the Geographical Association. After about two and a half years and 60 episodes, we thought we'd turn the tables on our regular host and make him the focus of today's podcast. I'm Becky Kitchen, Head of Professional Development at the GA, and today I'm absolutely delighted to welcome our guest and regular host, John Lyon. So, John, just to get us started, um, a potted biography in your own words from Twitter. It says, retired programme manager at the Geographical Association after 10 wonderful years, still working as a consultant with the GA on the podcast and Quality Marks, ex-teacher, mountain walker and road cyclist. Um, Anything else you'd like to add or that we've missed? Um,
1: I don't think so. Perhaps that uh, I I taught for 30 years in Rotherham. Some people forget that because it's such a long time ago. It was in black and white. Um, (laughs) But no, I think you've you've captured that really well nice.
0: Okay, fantastic. Thanks ever so much. And this is also a really special episode, because as well as inviting John, usually John does extensive research about his guests and their work in order to guide the conversation. But what we've done today is actually crowdsourced um, some questions from the GA's Twitter account and from GA's staff. And um, so there's a really mixed bag of questions, and I'm really interested to see where the conversation will take us.
1: Um, that was really scary actually, doing that. <laughs> Especially when Isabel said, "DN me, because then I thought, well, I am not clue what's coming up. Then.
0: <laughs> and it, I mean, one, one of the things that's really nice is um, MS Espley has put on Twitter that uh, she said, you always speak about your own experiences in the podcast and, and you're such an enthusiastic, engaging, inspiring presenter um, who involves the audience and shares your own experiences willingly. So um, I think that's a really lovely way to start.
1: It costs me actually, paying her to get to say that. <laughs>
0: So you ready to start let's uh, let's go for our, for our first question um, and this is from Becky uh, at Becky Marie 80 and she's asked how the geography syllabus has really changed over time and what you think has changed for the better.
1: Mm. Well do you know interesting because when I first started teaching uh, there was no national curriculum mm. there was a geography syllabus but there was no national curriculum and people have said to me on, at times on courses well what did you do then? How did you know what to teach? Fortunately, I suppose for me, I went to Sheffield University, um, the GA was just down the road, not where it is now, but a, uh, on a site at Fulwood Road, and the library was there. People forget what these things were, where they're actual real books that you could pick up off a shelf <laughs> yeah. and open it up. There was no such thing as the internet. In fact, when I, when I did my, um, my surveying for the, um, my field project, I had to take the, the data into the computer and the computer was a room and you had punch cards. You took the punch cards into the room and it took two weeks to get your results back. First time I did it, I confused a full stop with a decimal point. All my results oh. were wrong. Oh. It exactly the same but every punch card. Um, so I got lots of support from the Geographical Association. There were lots of writers, educationists who wrote about what um the a, a curriculum might look like
0: right yeah
1: and and I, I, that's where i got my my ideas from but then we were always working towards the o level as it was then
0: yeah and the, yeah. The
1: a level, as it was then and the a level was much more distinctly separate i thought in those days okay. so you'd have a physical geography paper you'd have a human geography paper there was less of the interactions there was less of the impact on humans of these sorts of physical processes. We did an awful lot to begin with, and I I think this is disappointing that it's gone, but we did an awful lot on slopes and slope development. because you can't really understand the landscape just by looking at what a river's doing, measuring the width, the depth, the wetted perimeter. That only takes the channel away, but the sides of the valley are all down to slope processes and how the geology, and the climate impacts on those slope processes so that whole thing about landscapes i think is a shame that it's lost how it's changed for the for the better is it's it's i think it involves people in the process more than it did before what i right. really you lose you lose the original um pure geography if you're not careful so that mm. instead of looking at a volcano and how a volcano spawned and why it's there you go straight into the long-term and short-term impacts of a volcanic eruption and you look at people without understanding the physical processes so i think at times we've lost the physical processes i do think we have with slopes but but it's it's an, an engaging geography and i think we've we might talk later on about some of the the tools that geography teachers can use now but the syllabus has changed because we can now look at place in a different mm. way. Look at place through in- images. We can look at place through poetry. That was, we never did anything like that. And I, that was fascinating because I, yeah. I didn't like, I didn't like mine, human geography. I didn't like learning about Cristalla and uh, Weber. Actually, it was just so dope. It pulled people out of that whole business of, of why landscapes are where they are. Oh, well, it's mm. mathematical. so I, I lost myself in physical geography to begin with it's not until not until I came to the GA particularly because nobody wanted to do physical geography when I was teaching so really? I yeah. level. oh we can give it a minute, we don't want to do it it's too hard <laughs> I don't want to do soils I don't want to do slopes I don't want to do so it wasn't because I was in assistant's head and I held on to it other people didn't fancy doing it yeah
0: I mean I, I, I was going to say I, I think that, um, that certainly a level at with the with the human geography is is so much more exciting. I mean, I, I remember you know my A level. I I knew a, probably way too much about the um, Brazilian car industry and not very much about anything else. So I think it is it's, it's yeah it's it's very exciting and accessible. I think the A level specs now um, than they certainly were when when I was doing it.
1: And I think that's dribbled down. So if that's what people are aiming for, or they're aiming for the GCSE, then lower down, place becomes more important. Mm-hmm. And that worked. Yeah. I, I i didn't realise that there was already um, work going towards developing a different understanding of place when I was at university. It wasn't <laughs> happening at Sheffield University. It was happening elsewhere because we had uh, Professor Gregory, who was part of the... the Statistical revolution. So we spent lots of time chunking stats and working stuff out that took us away from people.
0: Really interesting, really interesting. Thanks so much, John. Um, we're going to sort of shift a little bit now. And Frankie at uh, Frankie Key Lopez has asked, um, she, she'd like to ask John what he feels, what more could be done to support non specialist primary teachers who are asked to coordinate geography.
1: Well, geography can be a real marmite subject, can't it? People say, I hated geography at school. If you're a non-geographer and you hated geography at school and some, and the head teacher says, I want you to be, to take the geography lead. What a scary prospect that is, because you're thinking, I've got to get them to colour in maps of the world and identify where North America and South America is and I've got to do some map work so I'll I'll go and I'll do some orienteering and that's not geography at all so at a basic level non-geographers don't understand what geography is the excitement of geography can be and neither do some students I've worked with John Cannell a couple of times on looking at the local area and engaging students with that and I also did a project that was funded by the Wellcome Trust with secondary school children that looked at the local area making my place in the world with Sue Birmingham some of the students said this isn't geography is it because all we're doing is looking at our local area we ought to be looking at distant places but they were really engaged we brought Mm. people from the local area we brought the local shopping centre manager in that came out of one of the activities was them showing us the local area they had to decide where we were going to go and they, they picked and, and chose which were the, the, the bits that we should see and it ended up in the shopping centre and I had a burly security guard come up to me and say you can't take photographs in here so <laughs> I said I'm, I'm just taking the students they're doing field said, you can't do it I said surely I can I, I'm not coming back "Nope." can I speak to the shopping centre manager yes so I went upstairs and he wasn't there actually, so I, I spoke to the deputy who said no you can't You can't take photographs, you're going to have to come back. So I went back to, to talk to the students and said we're not allowed to take photos of you, but they're taking photos of us, because there are security cameras everywhere, CCTVs. Mm. And they were bonkers, they said well how come we can't, but they can, who's watching us, why are they watching us, what's going on? Well we did invite the shopping centre manager back in later on, on the project that we were doing. And he explained why there was the CCTV for safety, for people's safety. They recognised that because some of the students went to the shopping centre because they felt safer there than they did on some of the streets in Withenshaw locally by. Mm -hmm. They couldn't get their head round. It was geography to begin with. But they were fascinated by it. And the shopping centre manager was saying, I really like Withenshaw. I like the people. I think they call a spade a spade. They're a lot of fun. He said, I'm disappointed because I'm moving away. And one of the lads' faces was sort of, he was just amazed by all this because what he'd wanted to show us was where the stolen cow had gone over somebody's front lawn and knocked the hedge down. He'd never heard anyone talking about his place in a different way. He said to me at the end, he says, John, what I've learned is you don't know about a place until you've listened to other people talking about it. A real seminal moment for me, and that came after I'd stopped teaching geography. But if you're going to teach distant places and... Young people don't understand how you can see the same place in two, three, four different ways. How can you teach that distant place without the danger of a single story coming through? That Chimamanda mm-hmm. Ngozi talks about. It. So, for a non-geographer, some of this is about informing them about what what geography is in the local area and how you can bring in the local tas the parents the, the people to talk about change in that area and look at the, the local geography and i think that's, that there's such a richness in there
0: i think it's, it's it's it is about exploring that richness and you know really engaging with with the pupils isn't it and and rather than sort of talking to them about you know their local place getting it's that ownership ownership of place and in, encouraging them to sort of you know talk about what it means to them as well, I think, is, is, is crucial,
1: isn't it? On a real bonus side, because uh, I'm on the, the, the uh, primary geography quality mark, I've seen so much good mm. local geography from schools recently. Mm. Now that they're focusing on those sorts of things, whereas before geography, before Ofsted started to focus on it, geography was almost lost. The local geography now, for a lot of them, is fantastic. The fieldwork in the school grounds, the fieldwork in the building, yeah yeah in the local area what's still not so good and this is where the next stage for helping non-geographers will be is that i don't think their their global geography carries that same sense of place same sense of be careful that you're not perpetuating a misconception about that place so we go to sometimes we'll go to to a country or we'll or, or the, the students will dress up and they eat food but they won't ask the geographical questions about those places. That aspect that I think needs needs sharpening up. And you don't do that unless somebody helps you with how to do it, which is what the geographical association is so good at. But yeah. if you're a non-geographer, how do you get that communication that for a non-geographer you should look at the geographical association advice on improving your distant places studies? Yeah. yeah, I suppose, I
0: mean, the next question is... is um... A sort of similar question for, again from becky maria 80 is is sort of how can primary schools actually improve their geography teaching i mean you you've you've sort of said about you know the, the primary geography quality mark being that that opportunity to really think deeply about what you're doing in your school and and really honing in on particular aspects and developing that but but are there any other sort of uh, obviously join the ga um but are there any other sort of top tips that uh you know for, for primary schools to, to really improve their geography teaching effectively.
1: Well, you've said it there, the framework is a really good way of doing it because it poses questions to a teacher or a or a team, depending on how many there are, without it without it personalizing anything. Mm. How are we doing with this aspect? How are we doing with that aspect? I think is the first thing. You need that sort of self-reflection first. Yeah. Yeah. It would be a really good idea to dot around the world where do we go where do we visit and what do we think the students are going to come away with after they've been there what impression have we created of this place it's when you're busy you focus and you think oh I'm going to do am going to do a study on that without necessarily I'm talking me really <laughs> I'm, <laughs> criticizing, I'm criticizing myself I, I don't criticize anybody else because I'm not in their heads but I've quite often done that when I was teaching. I think, oh, this is going to be fantastic. I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Without thinking, what, what are they bringing out of it? I mm. thought it's really good, but what impression have they got of that place? I do think that's one key thing we ought to look at and think about. Perhaps That's perhaps the, the most important, because if, if we're going to look at, look at Kenya, do they only come away with the idea that everybody lives in mud huts? I know some mm. of us do we look at some of the other images of the cities? And it's, yeah. it's really easy to do. There are packs, aren't there, where you've got 24 photographs and they're all the same country. You give them to the students and they look at them and they and they, they discard 15 of them because they don't think they're part of that country. Those sorts of simple techniques for getting uh, that awareness that, that a, a country is is much bigger than the little case study that we've done.
0: And I was going to say, there's some fantastic resources out there. I mean, you know, I've, I've, for example, Dollar Street and Gapminder. I think, you know, even the, those those sorts of resources, they're free to access, and and they they do exactly that, don't they? They they give that multi dimensional view of of, of places, um, distant places that I think, yeah, it's just so valuable.
1: They also challenge that red nose. Mm. that yeah, they're, they're all poverty struck they're all miserable they don't smile they don't have a sense of humor they're not the same as us they're different yeah and they're not and we e- even yeah. I, I think even it's the way that way the National Christian was written it looks as it looks at differences and similarities. We ought to look at similarities and different mm. um, and, and I've fallen into that trap myself in the past I, I know I have where I've done differences first but these are all human beings. But you wouldn't think so by some of the rhetoric that we get on the TV about people, about migrants. Yeah. And, and that's what they're fed. Students pick this up. Young people pick this up. And I think we have a duty as geographers to start just challenging that. These are people there more similarities than there are differences. Yeah.
0: And I think, I mean, we, we our first podcast together wasn't it we were talking about the critical thinking for achievement project um and there are loads of materials on the ga website from that project from early years all the way to a level but that that sense of critical thinking and questioning and and really thinking about different um where you're getting your information from and 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 being that sort of giving it that critical eye i think is Um, it's so important isn't it and I think you know I think that project really demonstrated that all pupils whether they're you know 17 and doing an A level or whether they're in you know EYFS can engage at some level with that criticality and I think yeah that I think that that sort of helps to focus on some of the things that you just talked about there.
1: I think that's really important I think disappointingly is that uh, some schools are now getting their their materials delivered on PowerPoint, I Mm. have to deliver this lesson this way, Um, and there's not room for that, because critical thinking does take time, any sort of teaching technique that you use that goes beyond lecturing or PowerPointing takes more time, And, and that is in short supply,
0: Yeah I mean I think my 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 view as well is I think I completely agree um you know and if you if you're going to embed critical thinking that takes yeah time effort and, and quite a lot of thought um but but I think that what you get out of it in terms of that that efficient thinking so actually the dividends that you you get because you've kind of hardwired that thinking with with people's so actually their thinking is more efficient plus that the The way that they can think more deeply, more critically, for for me, it's a, it's, it's. I'm not going to say it's an easy win, but it's, it's one of those things that that can be transformational, can't it?
1: Well, I think so, and I think it goes back to the GAs manifesto, a different view, and I think that young man that talked to me about his local place went away. Well, he definitely did. Went away with a different view. Mm. The teacher that we were working with said that the class's responses were much more measured. The whole class, not just him, but the, mm. we, and we were working with what should have been. The aim was to find disaffected students. We weren't working with we weren't working with motivated students. We weren't working with SEN. We were working with identified disaffected students. That was the idea to improve their self-esteem and their understanding yes. of their own local place and how they could become agents of change in that place. That was the idea. Yeah that's that's really interesting.
0: i have got another question from the office this is from Anna in the office um where can geography take you and can you give some examples of how this knowledge can be integrated how geographical knowledge can be integrated into a career?
1: Oh blimey do you know <laughs> that's because thinking geographically is such a skill and then you'd have to identify what thinking geographically is but I think it's it's Understanding that there are several nuanced positions and drawing all of those together rather than I'm going to upset some mathematicians, but you get to an answer. You don't necessarily get to an answer with geography, you get to several answers, and they might all be right, but they have different consequences. And the, that geographical thinking that takes in all of those aspects that aren't necessarily thought of are what makes geographers employable and they are because you can see geographers dotted around in almost any career so if you look at the RGS website do a load and we did at one time I did some work with Alan Parkinson a long time ago about where could geography take you and anywhere I I, I don't think that's glib I think geography could take you anywhere Mm. my my youngest son did geography and geology he's now an environmental consultant and lovely yeah. friend of mine went into london transport transport planning those are the more obvious ones but they don't even mention geography yes yeah and, and the the key geographers when they're on telly talking about geography don't mention geography because it's such a mighty thing no no, no, no no do that so um you won't see geography mentioned necessarily but it'll be underpinning those sorts of skill sets that people need to make complex decisions i think yeah
0: yeah no i completely agree um and it's worth saying this is a sort of shameless plug um but uh, the ga's um sister site geo geography education online we've got some um career spotlights on there and we're, we're going to add some more where we've got people talking about their careers and what they're doing and how it links to geography and how their geographical studies and it's some of those are incredibly interesting um you know that's what I think is is so almost so exciting geography can take you anywhere as as you were sort of saying because of the skill set and the the knowledge that you have as a geographer and, and what it means to think geographically but but I would say a lot of the really really exciting jobs are inherently geographical um and I think that's, yeah, I mean, you know, who's who's going to solve the climate, the climate emergency? Who's who's going to you know, enable geographers? We have that sort of holistic geographical thinking that enables us to to be problem solvers, critical thinkers. Um, and yeah, it, I think it's it, it's exciting times for people who want to go into a career which uses their geographical knowledge and skills.
1: I definitely think so. And uh, economists can't do it. They can't think beyond their box i'm i'm sure of it they can't think beyond that little box I minutes. had,
0: yeah i mean i i had a a, a friend who was a lecturer at um, lse and um, lectured in economics and he said the best people that we have on our courses are geographers because they they have that extra ability
1: Weird right we're going to move
0: on to uh, local area knowledge now john um mm. Anthony Barley um, at Total Geography has got some questions that uh, sort of focus on because you, you you talked a lot and just now about sort of place and that local area knowledge. So here we go. What street can you describe in detail and what happened there? And then what news sources other than Twitter do you use to get a view of the world?
1: Oh crikey! So there's well, kind
0: of two two questions <laughs> yeah. there.
1: I came I came to Sheffield University, so I was I was quite young, naive, and not a city boy, Sheffield's not a big city, they call it a bit of a village really, but the area below the university, down from Glossop Road and into, um, into Devonshire Green, which is still a really exciting place, is, is perhaps the one I'd, I'd describe. It's changed so much over time, but I used to go down there for the sandwich shops, and uh, there would be, even in those days, there were old vintage clothes shops and things like that, there was a uh, A place so sad that it's gone. It was called Rare and Racy, and it sold books and records. And the two who ran it were major jazz heads. So much so that it it sometimes the pops and squeaks of the music—it was so extreme—drove me out the shop. But Rare and Racy, you could find almost any book there, from really expensive old books to just secondhand stuff. It was fantastic. There was a pub there. A, a microbrewery took it over when I was at university. They put a glass floor in it called the Frog and Parrot and they had a parrot outside. So <laughs> people... real one? A <laughs> yeah, a real parrot. People oh, wow. would give a parrot beer. So uh, the, an inebriated parrot. And then <laughs> there was Mr. Kite's Wine Bar, which was really trendy. So after I... This was after I was at university. So the place was changing and changing and growing. And that's the excitement about some of these places that are sort of arterial routes into, into the city centre. Mm. It's had a period where it really declined. And now it's on the up again. And they're talking about pedestrianising it. And that's a real debate at the moment. Because when they pedestrianise it, it feels like a continental, the continental street. It, it's just, mm. But some people don't want it to be pedestrianised they want the traffic to go down so they shut it again and then you've got all the people concentrated in tiny the two tiny pavements it's just it's a brilliant case study for why we ought to be thinking more about getting traffic in my opinion out of the town centre because it's so lively when when the traffic is excluded people can walk all over the place but it's just, it's really exciting. There are little mesters, the, these are little backyards that have been turned into sort of more wine bars and restaurants and little shops, little uh, artisan shops. It's fantastic. That's, um, that's a place I'd, I'd pick, I think. And it's, it's just distinctly, interestingly geographical. But what happened there, here's, here's an interesting little thing. I, I was walking down one time, there were, there were a whole lot of people outside, one of the one of the shops and I didn't know what was going on and uh, there was some music coming out the flat above the shop anyway turned out to be Pulp because the um the lead guitarist Russell senior lived in the flat above the Uh. shop and so Pulp were playing I didn't know who Pulp was (laughs) this was in 1980 something I'm not sure and they were a local Sheffield band then they hadn't really hit big I think that same year, Jarvis Cocker was prattling about showing off to a girlfriend, doing a Batman impression, and he fell out the window, broke his pelvis. Oh gosh! He was in hospital for a while, and he did. Um, there's a there's a club in Sheffield called The Limits. They did some of their shows while he was still in a wheelchair. Wow! So, but I'd never even heard of Pulp at the time. Fantastic!
0: Wow, that's that does sound amazing.
1: Um, oh yeah, and the third question you asked me, I, I remember that. Yeah. One now. <laughs> Oh, yes. God, that was good. Um, I I do take The Economist. I know that on Twitter some people are critical of The Economist now because of the stance they've taken, and I can't remember what it is, but I get my news from The Economist, the BBC, Private Eye, and Byline Times, mainly.
0: Yeah, and I, I think, you know, as, as well, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I, I expect that, um, you know, the place of podcasts as well, I've learned so much just from listening to Job Pod. Um, and I know that, you know, you do extensive work, don't you? Sort of uh, you know, researching um, all your guests' work and, and that sort of thing. That must be absolutely fascinating. And, and a really new well, – podcasts are still quite new, aren't they? But a really different way of, of, of finding out about, about various geographical things.
1: I'm so glad that people like it. Because when we did the first one, I was thinking, why oh, do you to listen to me prattling on <laughs> and, um, Actually, with all the podcasts, I try to say as little as possible because the the guests have so much, yeah. so many exciting things to say. If somebody said to me which was my favorite, I couldn't because they're all different and my favorites in different ways. I've I've had so much fun. The one that I've spent a lot of time thinking about recently, partly because of where my younger son works, is the the one that um, we did with um, Professor Jamie Woodward, Manchester mm. University. And that was a really interesting. It was about plastics, much of what he was saying, about plastic waste that sits on the, the base of um, streams and is only entrained in flooding times. So when they test the water, they don't know that they're bringing all the plastics out. And the plastics get put into the streams when the um, when the sewage isn't treated. So it's it's a by bi- it's a, it's another byproduct of the water companies not managing the the waterways. Of right, the yeah. So that was fascinating, but but so was listening to Gemma Sue. That was the last one. Mm-hmm. The graphic novels are just an, an a really interesting way of getting a complicated story over. So yeah, yeah I think the, the podcasts have been. I, I'm really pleased that they've they've gone down very well with people.
0: That's really good. And I suppose, you know, carrying on that theme, and we, we've got another couple of questions about you know your interests. So, um, again, from the office, we've got, have you, can you give an example of something that makes you passionate about geography? The second question from Emma Espley on Twitter. Um, who is it that's inspired you most?
1: Mm, well, it's tricky, it's tricky to say what makes me passionate about geography. Uh, all, all sorts of things. And I wasn't interested in geography when I was at school, in the the lower school particularly. But what started it off, if you like, was going going to Scotland. We always went to Scotland for our holidays. My dad was Scottish. We hardly ever went anywhere else, never went abroad. And my mum wasn't very well, so we didn't do much walking. But I just looked at the landscapes. Do you remember, we'd just been doing something on the division cycle of rivers and old age and rivers meandering and here i am in a mountain landscape and there's a river meandering and what's going on here this this isn't right this is in completely the wrong place how can we explain all this lot so i went back to mr fox who i'm still i'm still in touch touch (laughs) we 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 send we send emails and he's been around for he, he lives miles away, of course, because I'm not. He's not from Sheffield, but I'm, st- I'm still in touch with my old geography teacher. What's going on here? Can you explain it? Ah, well, <laughs> and he was into it, so that was what originally excited me. Was just the power of explaining stuff that I was looking mm. for, and I couldn't understand. But I was always, I was always quite outdoorsy anyway. But that, that was, that was what. St- Barked me off but now it doesn't really matter I can talk to somebody like Jamie Woodward I can uh, I can get inspired by I went out driving last night to see my other son my eldest son and in the middle of a deluge there's a there's a fountain coming up through the middle of the road the the bitumen had burst oh oh, gosh getting to get to him was really difficult so those sorts of things why are we not spending more time looking at the potential for climate change in better managing our environment at the moment because it, it was impossible i couldn't get through i had to go a different a completely different way my sat down mm-hmm. um i usually stick the sat over even i another journey because it'll tell me if there's going to be a traffic jam but it hadn't a clue about uh, about flooding there's something for the satna people yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> work something new out for how you get around floods so yeah that Lots of things make me passionate about geography and not just physical geography. I think coming to coming to human geography, I came late. That was work that I did with Alan Parkinson. It was work I did with Paul Owens at, um, at the GA, looking at place and, and becoming much more excited by the mm. place. So who inspired me most? Um, that's really tricky. Coming to the GA, working with the GA inspired me. I, I, been quite I I think quite an influential teacher I suppose in Rotherham yeah right so (laughs) small area big fish not that big but working with the GA I met so many people with such fantastic ideas so working with David Lambert was a pleasure I don't list everybody because um, I'll forget somebody but working with Duncan Holy has been absolutely fantastic working with Paula Owens the whole world team, but I could carry on, and, and I'd, I'd end up with 20, 30 people. The people on the on the committees—it's just so fantastic to have that group of people who have that level of of thinking about what is actually mm. a school subject, but they're passionate about it as well. So it's it's all of those. It's not particularly people on on telly, but. Um, Of the academics, Doreen Massey, I think, has been absolutely brilliant. Mm. When she said um, that geography is about space, I didn't really understand it to begin with, but her lecture was astounding. It was a a bit of a a light bulb moment for me when she lectured at the G.A. She talked, I pinched one bit, and I said it to the students on on a WorldWise weekend. She was talking about people passing through space. Uh, and places being um, places being places of change and uh, they're, they're not static so that they don't have this sort of single identity they're 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 multiple ones and they're not frozen in time and and she'd said about Blencathra which is where we went she said even Blencathra the mountain itself is a visitor but on a different time scale And I'd just been saying the same thing to the students, because if you look out from um, the field study centre in Blancather in one direction, you see all the Knobbly volcanoes. And you can, uh, hopefully, you can just about imagine that you're on the edge of a plate, and there's the volcanic, and then you look across to Skiddor, and there are the timidities and the the deposits that were in the deep ocean trench. But it it was south of the equator. Well... So Doreen Massey she was inspirational.
0: That's yeah no I completely agree I mean that 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 lecture in particular was just one that sticks in my mind for being yeah just changing the way I thought about the world um and that's yeah that's again really powerful really transformational isn't it right I'm going to give you a chance to talk about cycling in Italy now John so Mm -hmm. um you you I mean allegedly retired but you still do so much um for the ga but also um with with your travels as well and uh, you recently cycled to italy to take part in the maritalian can you tell us a little bit more about what inspired you to take the trip um, and also what you saw along the way
1: uh yeah i because my knee doesn't work so well anymore i can't go fell running which is what i used to do and was and probably still is actually on my bio for the geographical association i don't think i've ever taken it off and I used to do mountain marathons and we often did long long walks in the Alps, long walks in the Dolomites, a couple of friends and I. And uh, I had to take up cycling, which causes my knee absolutely no pain at all. So I've always done fairly long distance stuff. And we started doing sportifs <laughs> abroad. There's always been this thought yes. that you, you drive there and... Uh, there's got to be a better way of doing it now that we're retired. So Steve and I, just the two of us, there were about 30 people from the cycling club decided they were going to go. And they all thought we were absolutely bonkers. But Steve said, well, how about we, we cycle there? And I thought about him, and, uh, oh, well, it, it. It could be fun. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see, yeah. I said, as long as we can get the train to where to hope. He said, no, 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 no. We're going door to door. Oh. So, I said, We're going to meet at bike rehab in Sheffield on Sunday morning. I'll see you there at nine o'clock, and we're cycling all the way. So, that's exactly what we did. We uh, we cycled to Hull, stopping at Gainsborough because we cycled on Sunday and nothing's open anywhere <laughs> on the way to Hull except Greg's in Gainsborough. <laughs> <laughs> so, we stuffed our faces at Greg's in Gainsborough, and it's I haven't been over that bridge since. It opened, I did the inaugural 10K road race, or 10 miles, I can't remember which, over the Humber Road Bridge. Before it was opened, they did this, well, well a running race. So I've, n- I've never been over it. It's, what an amazing view, especially on a bike. You get a different view of the countryside. Mm. So yeah. that was it. We had an overnight stop. And then um, home to Rotterdam. And we cycled along we were going to go down the Rhine, but we decided that we'd cycle along the Maas and the, the canals, the um, Dutch canals. And we had a slight following wind, but it's flat. I didn't see a, a car. We didn't go on a road for the first wow. seventy-five miles. Their infrastructure for cycling is brilliant, and their infrastructure for um, for, for keeping the water off the land is amazing. Mm. It's just incredible to go past all these huge works that drain the land get them into the canal so we, we were high up because that level is higher than the level of the land but it's a, just it was an amazing ride and we ended up in um, well we, we did about 110 miles that first day wow gosh <laughs> we ended up in a place in turn but we had a better following wind we were doing 20 miles an hour for a mm. A long while, and then we find out that um, people on the Tour de France are doing 35 miles an hour, so that puts that. <laughs> in. Then from there, we ended up going on to the Rhine, and the Rhine cycleway is just fantastic. It's a fantastic ride. We saw so many people on electric bikes who were much older than we were because it's not school holidays. So all the old dodderers are out on their bikes because you don't go anywhere near cars. um, And you've got the river on one side and the the huge barges carrying cargo and the passenger boats. It's just, it's an an amazing spectacle. Mm. So much of the ride was that. And then we we came off for a short while. We came onto the Rhone-Rhine Canal, um, just cutting a corner, basically. And that was like cycling through our own impressionist painting, really. It was was useful. We we went higher up a little bit after we left the canal and uh, went into vineyards, fields of purple crops. I had no clue what they were like to look them up. I thought, oh, they're going to be lilac or or they're going to be. I think um, there was a time when they were growing. Oh, oh, crikey. No, I've forgotten. There was something else that they were growing, it was purple for lupins for their seeds weren't, wasn't that either it turned out to be borage borage and further on sunflower seeds we went through seven countries and the only time of course that we had to get our passport stamped was going out yes yeah. the only the only way we knew we were in a different country was because the road signs changed so suddenly they'd be in french then they'd be in german again so we went through holland and france and germany and austria and switzerland over the brenner pass to italy which is um that's amazing too as a sure. geographer all, all the traffic is concentrated in the brenner pass because it's the it's the way into italy it's the lowest pass, so you've got the rail links you've got the road links there isn't the canal obviously um and then you've got all the, the cycle paths and the, the small Roads that serve the the local villages, just that was amazing. Um, The changing agriculture was fantastic. We and and looking at the different cities was was also amazing because the architecture changes. Yeah, yeah, where you are, but because the borders are fluid, or have been in the past, you go from you're still in one set of architecture, but you've gone from one country to another because borders are fluid. We yeah, think of yeah. being fixed and set in time and they're blooming I mean, not these places have changed hands of so in, in recent history, which is, I think, interesting as a geographer. Yeah, we definitely. we on an island, so we think the borders are fixed and set and we've been a country for a long time and, and people go to Italy and forget that Italy wasn't a country until very late on. Germany mm. wasn't a country until very late on. It was a city, of, it was an area of city-states. Then then we finally headed off up. It started getting hilly (laughs) and uh, Lake Constance. And then up, the last bit was was tricky because there were a load of tunnels and cycling through a tunnel is scary. Mm. There's no other way around it, so we had to go through in the tunnels. And they've got these huge fans and you you don't hear them in a car a bit, but God, the noise. So I thought there was a massive lorry behind me the first time. (laughs) But it was a, it, in the end the ride became more important than the um, the event itself. It was, fantastic. Mm. it was such a good time. We didn't rough it. We stayed in hotels, so we had bed and breakfast, and then grabbed as much breakfast as we could, shoved it in our back pockets, and went.
0: Wow! We and how about, long did it? How long did it take you? It,
1: it took us eleven days. We did about eight hundred miles, wow. and. Uh, yeah it was it was a, a real real exciting thing to do I'm, I'm yeah we're looking at planning the next one now and oh, then of well, the course after that so we, we yes had...
0: <laughs> which you'd already sort of warmed up for <laughs>
1: and and the Dolomites is just so beautiful yeah i'm not sure you appreciate it when you've got four thousand two hundred and odd uh, meters to ascend it's just <laughs> relentless so there's, there's quite a few mountain passes to go over but 130 odd kilometers of, uh, of fantastic riding
0: hot off the press what's 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 uh, what's your next plan
1: well we're talking about maybe cycling to Copenhagen next
0: oh beautiful
1: and then our wives can fly out we'll have a holiday while we're there they can bring out some stuff because we travel really light yeah yeah and uh, I, I haven't been to Copenhagen for a long time. That would be lovely. That sounds amazing. Wow, that that's that. Yeah, that sounds
0: like a trip of a lifetime. But uh, yeah, but that's, that's fascinating. A, a, a
1: trip of a lifetime. It's like, what am I going to do next? Well, I've got another, <laughs> another trip of a lifetime.
0: Yes, yeah. <laughs> oh right. So I've got a, a couple of um, last questions um, for you, John. What's the recent pandemic taught you?
1: Oh wow. Well. I wasn't teaching, of course, so mm. I had to go through that horrible nightmare of teaching myself how to teach online and keep students engaged and learning. At a mm. distance. And I, I've tried it with um, with some of the CPD that the the GAs asked me to do, and I find it so hard. People don't interact with you in the same way at all. Even the uh, the quiz is about us me to do the uh, the geographical association quiz for conference and it just you can't tell a joke because who laughs, do laughs and you try you know. the whole thing is a nightmare so I, I missed all that so what did it teach me it wasn't anything to do with that I spent my time cycling and mm. and we weren't supposed to go very far but I live in the Peak District you weren't supposed to come in the Peak District, but how could the police stop me? I live in it, mate. I, oh, the border is slightly in towards Sheffield, so you can't say to me, don't come into the, into the Peak District, National Park, because I live in it. So I, I, I just went, and it was, it was lovely. Empty roads, an opportunity to just take in the landscape, take in just being being in the landscape of lovely so it was that it was a sort of I didn't discover myself but it was just it was that sort of experience of, of being at one with sounds really cheesy being at one with nature no I think I mean,
0: yes I mean it's it it feels it it's really strange isn't it because it, it feels like sort of um a very distant past but at the same time it's it's, it's so close to us it, it yeah it it's still very difficult to process. I think some of the things that uh, happened during the pandemic.
1: Yeah, don't want to go through that again. No, <laughs>
0: no. And okay, I have have a last last question, and we'll, we'll go for five. But uh, I want some I want some top tips for teaching geography.
1: Oh crikey! It says me who hasn't taught for <laughs> 15 <laughs> years, and I'm always conscious of that when I when I work with teachers. Oh, that's well, that's naturally that's not quite true. I did do quite a bit recently in a primary school but
0: I was going to say as well John I mean you you, you've you've moderated both the primary and secondary quality marks for the last well x number of years um and I I mean I you know we're both on 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 uh, the secondary team and and I I get inspired every year by those submissions because you know it, it first of all, it, it it shows that that quality geography is is alive and kicking but there's just it's there's so much creativity and so much you know um passion um for teaching geography in those submissions so um you know even though you haven't taught for a bit i think you you've got a very good idea about sort of uh what quality geography looks like and uh and you get to see it on a regular basis
1: oh well here goes then I, I would go back to Margaret Roberts and what she says mm. in my first top tip. I think creating that need to know for students using engaging inquiry questions is really a, a, a key for me. I, she used to say things like, like, I wonder why with her students. Mm. And I started to pinch that on on worldwide um, weekends when the students who'd won the competition went to look at um Wherever we went, we stayed in an FSC centre, and it was quite often Blencathra or it was uh, Mallon And the the inquiry question we just used was, what makes this a special place? But it opens up so much because mm-hmm. you are talking about geology, the geography, the land use, the people, the holiday makers, how the land is formed, how the land has been formed in the past. There are so many things there from just... But from just that simple question, but it, it did engage those students. It doesn't always work. You've got to an know your students, so what to mm. engage them. But that, that was a, a fantastic way of engaging them. And I think there's all sorts of, of, of ways we can do creating that need to know. I was going to
0: and and sort of go back to what you were saying about you know what really inspired you about geography it it was that need to know about the landscape wasn't it and and looking over at that river and 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 just and I I would say that that's that's one of the really almost unique things about geography it it almost creates yes you have as a teacher you have to create that need to know but but once you've kind of done that it, it can be so inspirational
1: I think so. And, and we've done work, there's plenty of examples on the GA website. Using different artefacts has been interesting. Mm. I saw David Lambert one time use a song. Yeah. And, and it was about migration. And you could plot as you were listening to the song, which is desperately sad as well, but you can get where the people have moved from Ireland to the States and why. Um, so you can create that need to know with artefacts. You can create it with images. You can create it with just a question. But, it, but that would be my number one. Then number two, we've said about this already, but I think it's about making it real. <clears throat> so relate geography to real life. My life maybe to start with, but not always, because we get inspired by watching David Attenborough. So it doesn't always have to be that we're only doing things that are in that student's sort of sphere of understanding, if you like. So I think you can still inspire students with a glacial landscape, mm. used to students to, to our own. They stopped doing that after I left school because the, the physical geographers weren't so interested. But I've had students who were inspired by that, not just the fieldwork, but, but fieldwork is my number three. Mm. Because I think that's a top tip for teaching geography, but the two together—the fieldwork and the the better understanding of uh, of of place and relating it to to real life—so those two. And we used to take all our white tens out to uh, the Peak District. God, hundred and fifty of them, not all at the same time. (laughs) All of them, they all went. They all had stories. Yeah. And the A-level yeah. a- ones all had stories. And I might have told this one before, but I have a, a, a student. He's in his 40s now. And we hooked up on Facebook. And I told him I was doing the high-level walking to Zermatt. And he said, do you mind if, um, if I put you up? I said, what do you mean? He says, well, I'm, I'm managing a, a suite of luxury apartments. We've got one free. You wouldn't have to pay for it. How about I put you up? And us four of us. He said, call it a late thank you for geography teaching, but for taking us to Aaron. Because he said, if I hadn't stood in Glen Rosa and looked up there, I wouldn't have yeah. realised that that's where I wanted to spend my life working. So you never know the impact sometimes that you've had. And sometimes it comes later. Sometimes you just never know. But it, they carry away lots from fieldwork and from real life. Um, i've under, I've got three i think creativity is good and i know there's some twitter criticism sometimes when people make models especially if the models take a whole load of time and you haven't actually learned anything through building the model but you can think that through there, there are ways to be creative i think and create something where learning happens as well as a model and they go away with something that they remember so that would be another mm. think- one.
0: yeah yeah i think i mean that that sort of creativity it, it, it's not being creative for creativity's sake is it it's about actually learning and and and, and teaching in a, in a different way that that in, engages and allows people to see things maybe from a different perspective or you in, in a way that means something to them
1: well it's interesting you said that because my last one really is technology um mm. videos photos I did something with Alan Parkinson ages and ages ago about what the extra does it bring to the learning or is it just, is it just a bit of fluff? Mm. If you look at some of the work that say, Alistair Hamill's doing, using ArtsGIS and others, but uh, I've, I've been following him on Twitter and some of it's just inspirational, using something like Digimap. I've done that with primary school children. Is your house going to be here when I move? this slider, and we go back in time. Yes. Do you think so? Yes. How old do you think your house is? Very old. it wasn't there in the 1950s. (gasps) Where was my house? Just, and and, and there are some amazing moments that you can have through using ArcGIS, through using Digimaps, through using technology, just through using video and photographs as well. So -hmm. I I think that's a a real valuable tool that geographers have got.
0: Yeah. I was gonna I was gonna say that um one of the things that, that Margaret Roberts said, which we re, which really resonated with you and it, it is really obvious, but most of the world we see through secondary sources. And so actually thinking about those secondary sources through tech, you know, and, and using technology to bring those to, to life, um is yeah, is is such it gives us access to to a broader world doesn't it and a, and a world that we can interrogate more deeply
1: yes i think so um that's it it's certainly true that we only consume well not only but we consume much of what we we get from somebody else so we have mm. to, so we have to be careful when we look at a video and uh, and that's part of the critical thinking there was the the, the two films i showed one about uh, michael uh, no, not Michael Palin, to the one doing flying penguins, Terry Terry Jones.
0: Oh, yes. Yeah.
1: Brilliant piece for um, for April 1st. And there's the spaghetti trees. That, the spaghetti uh,
0: harvest. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. And encouraging. I know some teachers aren't too happy with that because you're teaching them something that's wrong. But I, I do quite like the idea of looking at a video and then saying, is this, is this true? The tree frog as well. Oh. Uh, no, the, the 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 tree octopus,
0: the tree octopus, yeah, South,
1: the, the South American tree octopus, <laughs> which some teacher had created. I, all of those give us an opportunity to have that sort of in, critical thinking head on, but using mm. those sorts of um, those sorts of medium, I think are, are, are important. But I think that's yeah. important. Well more done. That's, that's, I was going to say. Inspired, <laughs> I think that's where. Well,
0: I was going to say, you know, we could absolutely chat for hours, but uh, but I think we'll leave it there today. Thanks ever so much um, for being our guests, And uh, it's it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Normal service with you as host will be resu- you resumed shortly on the podcast. So uh, thanks ever so much.
1: Well, thank you for asking the questions. <laughs> <all for> <laughs>